0: Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we're joined by two guests, friend of the show, Zoe Ammer, who's spoken to us before about digital risk, and Graham Manuel-Jones, head of digital at Maggie's. We've been speaking a lot over the past few months about the opportunities and pitfalls that digital can offer to charities in the current context of the COVID pandemic, And huge loss of funding from fundraising activities compounded by, in many cases, increased demand for services. Charities are understandably now looking at how the world is changing and what they can do to survive as well as thrive. And digital seems to be a catch-all term that is increasingly being used throughout the sector. In this episode, we dedicate our time to exploring the Charity Digital Code of Practice with Zoe, who is chair, and Graham, who has used the code to great effect with his charity. Both were great guests, and I'm sure you'll find this as informative as it is enjoyable. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So without further ado, here is Zoe Ammer and Graham Manuel-Jones speaking to me, about the Charity Digital Code of Practice. I'm delighted to be joined by Zoe Ammer, friend of the show, founder and director of Zoe Ammer Digital and chair of the Charity Digital Code of Practice, and Graham Manuel-Jones, head of digital at Maggie's. Welcome both of you to Charity Chats. Hello, thanks for having us. Hi, thank you. Zoe, we've spoken before about digital risk and have spoken uh, since then with the likes of Saeed Dajani and John Dunford about the opportunities that digital poses for charities. There are lots of different aspects, platforms, technologies that fall under the kind of hold all term of digital. You're the chair of the Digital Charity Code of Practice. Where did this come from and what does it aim to achieve?
1: so the charity digital code of practice started towards the end of 2018 that was when it was officially launched and it came about because a big emerging need that had uh, come up through the sector that beforehand was about uh, the big gap around digital skills and where charities how they got started with digital and indeed how they took things to the next level and one of the challenges we heard from charities again, and again, was that they weren't clear what best practice looked like, what was good looked like, what should they be aiming for. Uh, So the whole purpose of the code is really to set that out by showing what uh, success looks like in both small small and large organisations. And also on, on the site, we offer resources and best practice to give people some guidance about how to do digital even better. And Graham,
0: what did you, I suppose, how did you come to learn about the charity Digital Code of Practice and how has this changed your approach uh, to digital at Maggie's? I've known Zoe for
2: probably about maybe five or six years now, since I worked at Diabetes UK before. And I think I had contributed to some of the articles that she's written and um, one of the guides that she she wrote and put together. Because it's going back, I think I was thinking about it and probably to at least sort of 2016 or, or thereabouts, Obviously Zoe's really well known and well respected in the, in the sector and in charity digital circles. And I sort of felt quite lucky to be, to be asked to contribute to some of those things as well as training. And so I was just sort of very aware of what Zoe was, was up to generally, but I think it was probably back at, towards the beginning of 2018 that Zoe announced the code. And I remember it, it sort of being announced on social media and Zoe spoke about it at some different sector events I was at. So I you know, at the time I signed up for the updates. Um, and I also took took part in some user testing later that year. so so you know, Zoe and the code, they're kind of practicing what they preach and and doing that user-led approach so I could help them with the development of the of the website and also a bit about kind of how the code was structured and explained to people who might want to use it. And then eventually, I think the following year in 2019, Zoe kindly invited me to become a code champion. Oh, really? so to sort of be more of a kind of visible advocate I suppose for the for the code itself and in terms of how it's changed my approach to digital I think it's it's really helped in quite a few ways it gives really good structure so it really helped me when I was using it as the, almost a bit of a kind of checklist of, of key areas to cover in 2019 uh, our executive team at Maggie's wanted more of a vision for digital at Maggie's um, what how to really use digital to help our visitors and our, and our users to be able to present that to our board of trustees. So, I think having the code in that case, it, it sort of really helped me to structure that vision document and the presentation. And I think it really, you know, endorsed taking much more of a, a user led approach. That's one of the principles. So, I really tried to structure it around some of the key user journeys.
0: I mean, that sounds like such an important part, the, the idea of structure, because I know, you know, we as I say, we've spoken to, um, uh, Saeed Dajani and John Dunford and in both of those interviews they were talking about the I suppose the the fact that it's such a big world that there's so many things that people can do and also at the same time there's this risk that there are suppliers and people out there who are inadvertently or sometimes deliberately bamboozling people to go with them to do something and actually having a kind of a clear structure that helps charities make I suppose it's about making strategic decisions isn't it in terms of looking at the next steps with digital progression?
1: Yes, absolutely. Because I think this is one of the big challenges facing lots of organisations at the moment, not just charities uh, it's i think it's asking what questions you know what what data you need as well in order to inform your decision and thinking about what the implications of those decisions are as well so absolutely the code is very much there is a framework to help guide those decisions and to get people to evaluate the different options
0: What, when you're talking about um using this as a structure for for Maggies and for the work you do there what was it like talking to the trustees about it was did, it, did you say it was helpful to uh, getting their buy in to the kind of progress that you wanted to make with digital at maggies
2: yeah i th- i think definitely um having to present it to kind of senior senior leadership obviously leadership is one of the principles too and I think I think the code sort of really lends some authority to to what you're what you're proposing and kind of gives you that kind of backup for for what you're you found in terms of your research and in terms of of what you're proposing to do you know and it's probably like that a lot of charities but certainly at Maggie's the senior leadership the trustees we've got various committees committee members and other kind of key donors and stakeholders and people who really feel very passionately about Maggie's and really support Maggie's, but they often come from really, really senior roles in industry or maybe healthcare and the arts and some quite sort of diverse sectors, but they don't necessarily have that really specific experience of, you know, the particular challenges of charities and charity budgets and, and trying to really make good use of digital at a charity. So I think, I think the code really has given more of a kind of a f- official stamp to what we're doing, and it and it gives it gives those senior people a bit more reassurance and a bit more of a framework, mm. as Zoe said, to kind of be reassured that we're following good practice standards and we're part of a, a wider community of charity digital um, professionals and people who kind of are following the right the right standards.
0: So, how do you see the charity digital code of practice evolving? And do you think we're likely to see an increased take up of this uh, code post COVID?
1: Yeah, so I take that question in in two parts, if that's okay. So the the first question about uh, how how it's going to evolve, well, Graham will know that what we've been doing during the pandemic, so since we went into the first lockdown last year, is to create a programme of support to help, charities with their digital needs during the pandemic so we ran a series of webinars last year uh, helping charities deal with some of the really pressing questions about digital that were facing them so things like how to make the right decisions about digital what your roadmap for the next six months should be operating at such a, a volatile time uh, and how to get buy-in from your key stakeholders and we also produced a checklist uh, for trustees specifically about COVID-19 and digital which is a bit like a guided discussion document uh, to get boards and the leadership teams who work with them uh, thinking about what are the key questions they should be asking for example about digital fundraising or online service delivery so I'd encourage people to have a look at that so we had a bit of a program of, of support and then also certainly in terms of uh, the, the code and how it Uh, I'd absolutely hope that we will see more charities uh, adopting it. Uh, We've had some really, really brilliant examples of charities who are championing the code, using the code. So we've got some really interesting case studies up on our website from charities from NSPCC uh, to Click Sergeant to other organisations as well. So we have small and large charities using Mm it. And then also we've got some very nice case studies which we'll be launching in a few weeks time uh, about the impact of the code on charities and how they use digital during during the pandemic. So I, I think those are really promising signs that hopefully there'll be even more charities who can benefit from this free resource.
0: And is the code something that if if someone is listening to this now and they're they're maybe representing a small charity, is it something that somebody could pick up and really see some benefits of using in the short term or is it more of a longer term uh, strategy document?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think you could use it both ways. And if you're listening and you're a small charity and you're a bit strapped for time, as I know lots of small charities I used to work for a small charity back in the day Uh, just start with one principle so there are seven principles in the code just choose the one that you feel is is the you know represents perhaps the biggest headache or the most pressing problem that you face at the moment and then look at the best practice for for small charities in that and think about well what are we doing well and how can we do more of that and where where is the room for improvement and how could we close those gaps so even if you just start with one principle that will give you a bit of a sense of where you're at and some ideas on how to improve things
0: and graham from your experience what's the most pressing digital challenge that you've you've been facing over the last 12 months because i guess that you've been using this you've been involved in this charity digital code of practice for some time but it over obviously during the pandemic we've seen a lot of changes to how all charities seem to be working how has it kind of helped you with dealing with the pandemic i suppose
2: i mean i think from you know thinking about our kind of really core services that we provide of cancer support maggie's operates through centers that are based at hospitals across the uk and and when the pandemic first kind of really hit and lockdown the first lockdown began the the center staff and the and the teams in the in the offices as well were really great at kind of coming up with you know reactive ad hoc ways of of taking Taking these kind of very offline, very kind of human services online in some way, and providing them remotely, you know, using things like you know Zoom and uh, Teams and phone and email, um, as well as still keeping the centres open as well and, and supporting people if they needed them to, to, to still visit. So you know, in in that way, without even knowing it, they were really following the the code's principle of adaptability and like really being responsive and, and 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 agile in that way and it, may, it made me think of that expression about changing the tire while you're driving the car there's that sort of that's what the first part of the pandemic felt like that you were trying to kind of get to grips with with things and change the way you did things but not having any time to kind of stop and and really necessarily do that in the ideal way but i think more recently it has felt like we're, we're still driving and um but we're also trying to sort of designer a sort of a new a new roadmap and a new way of doing things um and and possibly changing the engine at the same time. And you know, just to really extend metaphor, just, you know, that it's it's really been something where we couldn't stop. We couldn't stop. We had to keep providing those services and helping people, um, but we had to find new ways to do that while we were, while we were underway. So I think part really part of the digital strategy that we've we've put together last year to sort of begin this year is is to really take stock of what's worked and what hasn't worked so well in that approach and it's been really helpful to do some user research with external users and internal users um, working with an agency and that's that's one of our three big projects for this year is to really try and redesign our online services and support for people so that we can continue doing that while there are restrictions but also in the long term, we're kind of planning for that to be a way to, to extend rather than just replace what, what we do in the centres, actually, how can we use digital in the best way, following these principles to extend the help that we give through digital. And also when people are back back in the centres in earnest again, as I'm sure they will be. Um, that we can really use digital to enhance people's experience when they do visit us as well, and that it makes it a lot more sort of a smooth journey for them, a smooth experience um, when they do return. Obviously, a big, a massive challenge for all charities has been income in the in the last year, and I think one of the ways that that the the code is kind of supported in that is that I think it's really important that that culture is kind of given an equal billing in terms of a principle alongside strategy because. It really is about kind of the way that the mindset of how you operate and how you work together within the charity. And I think having that kind of attitude where we were happy to experiment and we were happy to let go a little bit and we didn't have to do everything centrally meant that we could develop these these services, but also develop new ways and try new ways of bringing in income. And we've had some real success through Facebook groups and doing fundraising challenges, kind of virtual challenges through those groups to help fill the gaps where we've lost event income
0: and zoe do you get any sense from the the work that you're doing that charities are maybe maybe seeing the pandemic in a different way as they might have done earlier on is there any sense that maybe uh, initially certainly from my perspective as as graham said and i think it's a beautiful metaphor for it but you know trying to change the car tire while you're still still driving it's it seemed like there was an emergency aspect to it and having to really change very quickly but also i kind of felt that there was this idea that you know by summer it would have all come back to normal but that's obviously changing And, and do you get any sense of how people might be adapting to that in a longer term way maybe some kind of more fundamental changes than may have been Uh, thought about earlier on in the pandemic in terms of digital?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the um, really brilliant things that we've seen across the sector, and Graham, who can I just say is enormously modest and one of the most impressive people working in charity digital at, at the moment, has absolutely described fantastically there the very learning curve that lots of charities have it talk and how lots of them have done an amazing job adapting to using digital or to deliver their charitable purpose. So I think if I can perhaps answer that in a slightly different way. I would love more charities to be able to take a bit of time to reflect on what they have learnt during the night of however long it's been of the pandemic so far because there's a lot of really rich learnings and developments there to to draw on and to learn from. And I I think one of the big challenges actually facing our sector at the moment app digital is how we begin to shift from more of this short-term mindset to the long-term implications for our business models. So I guess one thing that I do have a slight concern uh, uh, about just generally across the sector is it's been such a difficult, such a worrying time for a lot of organisations that there's naturally very much a focus on firefighting and immediate survival over the next three to six months. How can we flex and adapt as our users' needs begin to emerge as we come into this post-vaccine period? Charities are going to need to be ready to adapt their business models depending on how their their users' behaviour changes as we emerge into this new period. And no one knows exactly what that looks like yet because we don't know what people will feel comfortable with. And we will look to create more resources to help people uh, adapt to this new period as well.
0: Draymond, what do you foresee as the biggest challenge or challenges over the coming year for for you and for Maggie's, and how is this driving your digital strategy?
2: I think for us, it's kind of being really reactive and responsive. So, as I said, uh, you know, that's thank you, Zoe. That's lovely, um, what you said about about me, but but also genuinely, the rest of the of the organisation has been so amazing in how it has, you know, tried new things and you know full credit to you know um center colleagues who've 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 tried and just very quickly um adapted to do these these new ways of delivering services but also fundraising colleagues who've who've kind of picked themselves up from from the real you know um challenges of of not having this event income and other traditional income streams and really just been really experimental and tried things so i think probably one of the challenges and opportunities for next year is for this year, for the rest of this year is to to continue being really reactive and, and, and monitoring what's happening and seeing what works and what doesn't work and be prepared to try new things and change if that's not working. And if it's been working for a while and it stops working, you know try try new things. but also to, for us and certainly in terms of um, support services and, and cancer support, we, we need to find a way to consolidate what we have done. Do that—that that sort of uh, taking stock exercise—and really look at what has worked and what can we can we do in a sustainable way now, and what will that involve in terms of not just kind of um, staff, time, and skills, but also thinking about things like hardware. You know, things that really came out of the the internal user research that we did has has really told us things like we need we need to sort out the hardware in the centres to be able to provide proper, you know, maybe video, video sessions for people and think about questions of things like privacy and and sort of, and comfort for people who are in their homes, maybe taking part in some of our, of our sessions. So there's lots of those sort of considerations that we need to sort of start to try and kind of professionalize again, I suppose, rather than doing it in kind of the ad hoc way of 2020, really try and sort of streamline what we're doing and 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 also turn that into a, a more easy to understand service offer so that people who come to us have got a really simple way in so that they understand what we can offer both in the centres and remotely um, and can find their way to those services really easily in the same way as we take you through your options when you visit the centre and, and we really look after you there.
0: And for you Graham for the work that you're doing and the work that Maggie's is doing has the has COVID-19 I suppose by the very nature of the fact that people aren't allowed to do a lot of face-to-face things. Is that proven to be both a challenge and and an opportunity for your digital development?
2: Yeah, I think exactly that. I think, you know, there are real challenges that come with obviously the health of our visitors and, and, and many of our visitors who would normally come to the centers have had to shield for, you know, really months and months on end. And so that is, that is a real challenge. But at the same time, it's also made our support more accessible in some ways because there are always people who aren't able to necessarily visit our centres and and, you know from past research we've done we've had people who live really close to a centre but they you know it just doesn't suit them for different reasons to actually visit one of the physical centres so what we can offer and then what we have started offering more of in the last year really opens that up to a lot more people and they can access more of our support and also at a time that suits them a bit better and we can offer more kind of recorded sessions that people can look back on later and as I mentioned earlier I think you know the longer term plan when people are able to visit the centres again in the usual way is that we can keep using digital to extend what they what they experience there so they can benefit from something in the centre and then also have some follow-up support when they're when they're at home
0: kind of last question maybe start with you Zoe is from from your perspective, do you think that any charity listening to this podcast can use digital to engage? And I know there's such a there's no, you know, it's not a monolith, is it? every charity is different, every charity's got different resources, some are maybe staffed by one volunteer. But is it possible do you think that charities have the technology available to them, regardless of budget, where they can do more with digital, even if maybe they're not doing anything with digital at the moment?
1: I think what we have learned from this time is that uh doing well is necessary about having an enormous budget or having a huge digital team uh it's about having a really really clear idea of what you're trying to do in line with your organization's vision and then, and then absolutely cherry picking a small number of projects that achieve that so yeah I'm, I'm a believer in democratizing digital and i think think charity can do if they have uh, some skills and a really clear idea of what you're visioning. And Graham, from your perspective,
0: what what have been the main challenges for your service users or beneficiaries? What what have you seen the challenges for them when it comes to digital and how have you uh, overcome them at Maggie's?
2: a lot of it was obviously come down to the fact that people with cancer are have are having to shield um and and stay at home and that sort of perhaps feeling of isolation and obviously fear of of the virus as well as as well as the the ongoing um sort of fear and um worry about their cancer and i mm-hmm. think one of the key things that we've had to do is is be really flexible so we we you know we haven't We've been kind of quite agnostic I suppose while we've been in this kind of reactive phase over the last year we we haven't sort of limited I guess, I guess the number of different digital tools and channels that we're offering we we're kind of trying to work out and we're probably going to do this centre by centre what the preferences are in terms of 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 the of, of the visitors to those centres you know we know that it's quite different if you're a you know a, a going to a hospital in the highlands versus going to one in a really busy part of London for example there's just different challenges and there's there's different ways that you receive your your cancer care and so I think it's needing to be really flexible and, and base everything exactly on what what your users need but at some point I think we need to get to a point where that is a little bit more standardized so that we're still, offering the fullest range that we can but also that it's not quite so uh, sort of fragmented and I think it needs to be a lot clearer in terms of how we how we offer that support and get people onto those sort of channels of support so it's as sort of a smoother a process for people as possible and that's one less thing to worry about so yeah I think that's one of the really key ones for us
0: Zoe Emma Graham Manuel-Jones thank you for contributing to Charity Chats
1: Thank you so much
2: Thank you so much
0: big thank you to Zoe Ammer and Graham Manuel-Jones. Ironically, we're talking about digital, we had some uh, digital technical difficulties on that recording, um, I think because of Wi-Fi. And so uh, there were a little bit of uh, kind of odd bits there, but I hope the messages came through loud and clear. Zoe made the excellent point that she made in episode 113 of the podcast, that when charities are looking at digital, they should come at it from the point of view of the things they're trying to solve. This is a really sound point. After all, where your charity wants to get to has a bearing on how the charity operates, the work that it does, and the technology and the systems it should embrace to do these things. This technology and all that it can do should not be the driving force behind how your charity operates and spends its time, nor the direction of travel for your efforts, your cause, those your charity wants to help, or the means by which your charity wants to improve society, should inform your roadmap. The technology might just contribute to getting you there. Graham also made excellent points around the charity Digital Code of Practice and how it's really helped to give an official stamp to his and his team's work and reassured his senior leadership team and trustees. Getting the approval of a charity trustee board uh, to progress anything is always difficult because, of course, that's their role. But the world of digital may be in its own league for the difficulty it poses, some in understanding what it is and means, and a willingness to invest time and money into it. For the vast majority of fundraisers and charity workers generally, our training, experience and expertise is often so wide-ranging and diverse because of the small charities we work for and the need to be a generalist rather than a specialist. So it strikes me that this code, along with the examples from Graham that we've heard about, of how to use it, is a great tool for charities to help guide them in their journeys into embracing new digital ways of working. Do have a look at it and explore whether it's right for your charity. The world has changed, we must change too, as must the charities we love. It's not enough to follow the same path as 12 months ago to make our charity vision happen. That path is sinking and it will not get us there. We need to draw a new map, look for the tools that will help us, seek out those who might join us, if only for a while. This is the lot of the charity worker. We must grind on, get through it, keep going. We must have the courage of our convictions that the causes we strive to support have a place in the future until, that is, they are no longer needed because the world was made better. I can't think of a better way of spending the time we have Than doing what we can to leave the world better than when we were brought into it. And so, dear listener, thank you for continuing to support us, both by listening and sharing this podcast. We hope that someday we can listen back to these episodes and wonder at how far we have come since then. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, charity people for enabling us to share insights expertise and best practice across our sector giant squid audio lamp for sponsoring our podcast kit magda axmit for our beautiful website check it out at charitychat.org.uk forest of fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now that's it from me thank you for listening keep on doing what you can cheerio bye-bye